0: When the angels appeared to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem on Christmas night, they came with good news of great joy. The Savior had been born. And when they burst out in song glorifying God, they sang what this news meant, peace on earth. Last week, as we celebrated Christmas, we echoed that song, singing joyfully in a full sanctuary, and this week we're singing it again. But of all the wonderful parts of Christmas, does this one ever feel like it's fallen a bit flat? After all, the angels promised peace on earth, which sounds wonderful, certainly is something we want, but it sure doesn't seem like it's happened. There are soldiers in trenches in Ukraine right now, and families shattered in Israel and Gaza. There are cruel dictators and military coups and uprisings all around the world. Then there's all the discord and turmoil and, honestly, danger inside our own borders. And it's not just the big picture stuff either. We struggle to find peace even in our daily and personal lives. Balancing work and family, managing tight finances, dealing with difficult people and our own flaws and insecurities as they bounce off those of our friends and family, peace can be really hard to find. In the gospel for today, though, we get to meet two people who did find true and lasting peace. The first was a man whose name was Simeon. We don't really know a whole lot about him, what we do know, however, makes him one of the great examples of faith for us to follow. Luke describes him as righteous and devout. He was a believer who was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And that's really just a fancy way of saying that he was looking forward to the work of the Savior who was promised to come. The one who was promised to console and comfort the chosen people. Luke tells us that this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Which is a normal thing for believers. The Holy Spirit, after all, is the one who enlightens and sanctifies us. But in in Simeon's case, it was even a little bit more special than that. Typically, the Holy Spirit reveals God's will and love for us through God's word, the scriptures. However, the Holy Spirit had somehow communicated directly with Simeon to inform him that he would live to see the Savior with his own eyes. Can you even imagine how exciting that must have been for Simeon? the 40th day, after the first Christmas, the Holy Spirit moved Simeon to go to the temple courts. It was time for his promise to be fulfilled. And sure enough, while Simeon was still there, Mary and Joseph showed up with a 40-day-old baby Jesus. The Holy Spirit must have somehow prompted Simeon to recognize Jesus as the promised Messiah, because as soon as he saw him, he scooped him up into his arms and burst out into the song of praise that we still sing in our communion liturgy very frequently today. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What a beautiful song! Simeon knew exactly who Jesus was and exactly what he would come to do. He knew what it meant for him that Jesus had entered the world. He knew that just like God had kept his promise that he would get to see his Savior with his own eyes, he would keep his promise that this Savior would undo the devil's work. And that all of this gave him peace. Peace to say, Lord, you can dismiss me now. And not in a bitter and defeated, Lord, I'm sick of this life and don't see any reason to continue, I give up sort of way either. Simeon wasn't giving up. He was just perfectly and completely content. Nothing else mattered to him. He was at peace. Likewise, the next character Mary and Joseph and Jesus met in the temple that day is also an excellent example for us. Her name was Anna, and like Simeon, we don't know a ton about her. She was from the tribe of Asher, and her dad's name was Penuel. And she too was a believer, and lived a life looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She was also quite old. Luke tells us that she had lived with her husband for seven years after their wedding, Then her husband died and she lived as a widow for a very long time. Depending on how you parse Luke's Greek, she was either 84 years old or had lived as a widow for 84 years, which would make her well over 100 years old, maybe 105 if you assume she got married very young at 14. At this point in her life, she never left the temple anymore. Instead, she opted to pray and fast and worship night and day in God's house. Actually, that put her at the temple the day Mary and Joseph brought Jesus there. As soon as Simeon had stopped talking to Mary and Joseph, Anna came over and thanked God and started speaking to everyone around who would listen for even a second about who Jesus was. Instead of being a sad and bitter woman, which honestly maybe would have been understandable, she, like Simeon, rejoiced to see the baby Jesus. And she couldn't help but praise God and tell others about who he was. She too was at peace. So what would it take for you to be at peace like that? What things do you have to experience yet in life to be able to honestly tell God that you're content? And if he took you now, you wouldn't have any complaints at all. My guess is we all know the right answer. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Jesus is all it takes. But my guess is also that we would have some things we could list there. Things we want to see. Things we want to do. Things we want to achieve. Things we want to own. That way we can feel like we've completed life. All too often, honestly, we're looking to find peace in all the wrong places and all the wrong ways. Simeon wasn't righteous and devout because he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, or because he was such a faithful worshiper, or because he had lived such a great life of patience. Anna wasn't saved because she spent day and night in the temple. It really was the other way around for them. She spent day and night in the temple, and Simeon was devout because they realized that they weren't righteous. They realized that the most important peace they could have, peace between themselves and the God whose glory we read about, that was so great when Solomon had dedicated the first temple, the priests couldn't even finish the worship service they had planned. This peace wasn't something they could achieve on their own. Honestly, it's not a peace they could even ever achieve with help. Peace with God is really simple, though. It requires perfect obedience. The catch is that even imperfect obedience is often in short supply in our sinful lives, especially since we're so prone to looking f- to all the wrong places for peace and all the wrong kinds of peace at that and, and completely neglecting this most important peace. Simeon and Anna knew what we know and what we need to continually remind ourselves of. True peace comes from the perfect obedience of our Savior, credited to us and his suffering and death in our place. True peace is earned by him on our behalf. That's exactly what Simeon's saying. Dismiss me now in peace. Why? Because I've seen the salvation that you've promised and prepared. In other words, I've seen the Savior. I've seen the light of the world. We haven't talked at all yet about why Mary and Joseph and Jesus were at the temple. Now is maybe the time to do that. We have to understand a little bit of Old Testament ceremonial law, those laws that governed worship life for Israelite believers from the time of Moses until Jesus' resurrection. These were those laws that talked about what they could eat or not eat, how they were to celebrate their religious holidays, and how the priests and Levites were to carry out worship at the tabernacle and later the temples. These laws also laid out a system of ceremonial cleanness and uncleanness. In order to participate in the worship life of Israel, a person had to be ceremonially clean. They could become unclean, well, a bunch of different ways, from coming in contact with a dead body to entering the house of an unbelieving Gentile. One of the ways a person could become unclean would be by giving birth. When a woman gave birth to a baby boy, according to Leviticus, she would be considered unclean for seven days, and then would have to wait 33 more days for a total of 40 days from birth, before she could be declared purified and clean. At that 40-day mark, she could go to the temple and offer a lamb or a pair of doves or pigeons if she couldn't afford a lamb, and she would be ceremonially clean again. This is what Mary and Joseph were at the temple to do that day. I always used to struggle with this cleanness-uncleanness thing, especially since being unclean would seem like such a bad thing to be. But it's important for us to remember that the things that make a person unclean in the Old Testament weren't all inherently sinful. It's not a sin to prepare a loved one's body for a funeral. It's not a sin to have dinner with an unbeliever, and it's certainly not a sin to give birth. If we want to understand what these laws are all about, though, it's helpful for us to remember the whole point of the ceremonial laws in the first place. God established them to focus his people's hearts on their coming Savior. The point was that being with God is something special, and that there are things that can disqualify you from it. Namely, your sins. Even though the things that would make a person unclean weren't sinful in, in themselves, it was an object lesson for this. It would remind people that they could be separated from God. And that in order to become clean again, be reunited with God, a sacrifice or a payment had to be made. And the same is true for sin. In order to have peace with God, a payment has to be made. Isn't it a little ironic, though, that on that day in the temple, when Mary had come to make a payment... To make herself clean again, she was holding in her arms the payment that her payment was supposed to foreshadow. And it's that payment, Jesus' life, that Simeon was inspired by the Holy Spirit to foretell to Mary and Joseph. After a song of praise and a blessing, he talked about how Jesus would cause the falling and rising of many, that he would be spoken against in ways that reveal the hearts of those speaking, and that a sword would pierce Mary's soul. Unsurprisingly, because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was, he was right. Jesus is the stone that's either a foundation or a stumbling block, depending on whether or not a person believes. And a person's confession about Christ, whether they confess that he's their Savior and their Lord, or claim that he's nothing but a teacher or revolutionary or fable, it reveals where their heart is. And I'm sure that Mary would agree on Good Friday that it felt as if a sword had been driven through her heart as well. It's this payment, though, that brings us peace. If peace with God requires perfect obedience, perfect obedience is exactly what Jesus gave for us. Even down to the little tiny details of Mosaic law, he was perfect. God led Mary and Joseph to faithfully make sure that every requirement of his law was fulfilled, even in these little ways. Luke makes sure to tell us this so that there can be no doubt at all as to whether Jesus was perfect as our Savior or not. He was, and he still is. The good news of the Savior means that you have peace with God because of his perfect obedience in place of your imperfection. Now finally, don't for a second listen to the devil's lies or your heart's doubts that this peace isn't for right now. It's too easy for us to minimize this gift of God's grace and assume, well, this peace is just for the next life and it has no bearing on this life. We just have to muddle through this one and then get to that one. How could you possibly believe that? when you see how knowing this peace impacted Simeon and Anna. They had every reason, really, to be every bit as jaded and down and depressed and pessimistic as we can be. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of his people, but his people were straying from God's promises as they always had, and they were occupied by the unbelieving and oppressive Romans. He knew his time on earth was going to come to a close, and we assume he was kind of old because these sort of thoughts were on his mind and because he's paired with Anna the way Luke tells the story. But he could probably guess, even if he wasn't super old, he could probably guess that he wasn't going to see a glorious rebirth of his beloved home country. But he had peace and joy, enough to sing out in the temple knowing that he had seen his savior. Anna definitely had pleasant plenty of reasons to be bitter and depressed, too. Her marriage had only lasted a few short years, and then she had never been able to remarry. In her time as a widow, this would have meant that those years would have been probably very poor, relying on the mercy and charity of those around her. But instead of being bitter, instead of being angry, instead of being discontent, she spent every day worshiping God and looking forward to his redemption you're probably a little bit like Simeon or Anna too. You could list out all the reasons you have to be unhappy, all the things that rob you of peace in this world. But like Simeon and Anna, you have a savior who brings you peace in the midst of all that trouble. And it's not just a peace for later. It's one that's transformative right now. It's what will give you the strength to live through it. It's what will give you the perspective not to be destroyed by whatever it is. In a world full of bad news, where peace can be short-lived and shallow, you have something deeper. You have good news of great joy. You have true and lasting peace. Peace with God. Peace that you could never hope to earn for yourself. And it's not just peace for you to enjoy someday. It's your peace right now, right here, on earth as well. Amen.